The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church. Now, um, again, we start today our third um, sermon in our small little six-week series where we're taking a break from Luke for just a little while. And the title of the series, of course, is What Time Is It? And so the past two weeks of this series, we've answered that question with two things. One, uh, time to pray. And number two, last week, time to love one another. And what I hope and pray is that that we're growing, first of all, in prayer together as the body of LAC. God knows that this week we have been praying for many things this week. Um, So many things I can tell you about that we have been seeing God's faithful hand in things that we've prayed. And so I pray that that what prayer is becoming for us is, is something that's just kind of part of our breath. You know, that I'm hoping that prayer is always in front of your mind um, and that even as you breathe, you pray. And the more serious I know that we become about prayer, the more we're going to see a unique work of the Lord for the glory of his kingdom here at LAC. And that's why this is such an important, immediate foundation for us. <clears throat> Last week, then Kevin taught us that when we love one another, we image our triune God for the advancement of the, God's kingdom. And we saw the necessity to prioritize loving one another and that the chief purpose of the church is to really glorify her triune God by bearing his image, and and that is to reflect God's glory back to himself. And so we saw that following Jesus is not a solo sport, as, as Kevin was telling us, and that our love for one another actually furthers the Great Commission. And I, I can't overemphasize that, how important. We, we wonder sometimes, well, how do we best evangelize? Well, one of the great ways is what John 13 tells us is the love we have for one another. The world will know that we are his disciples. And then we were challenged to respond in faithfulness to God's call for us to, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ who, whom Christ has placed in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I, I absolutely loved his conclusion last week that we respond to this call uh, to love one another by beholding Christ. That was brilliant. Kevin, that was brilliant. Okay, that was wonderful. And, and just crying out to him. And we respond by doing something and depending upon one another. And, and I was thinking about, consider if we just did those two things, those two things, prayer and loving one another. And if that was taken seriously in the body of Christ, what would happen for the glory of our Lord? I mean, can you imagine? Just those two things, only those two things. And and as you know, uh, actually, the amazing thing is that we as the elders, we we see these types of things happening in the church. We see people taking seriously prayer, and we see people taking seriously what it means to love one another. But imagine, if you will, how the community outside of Living Acts Church would respond if, we're, if we were actually known as a church that prays and loves one another, just those two things. You know, sometimes, every, some churches have identities. You know, you know that this church does this, do that. And, and sometimes I wonder what a wonderful thing it would simply be if, if we're just known as a church that prays and loves one another. 
And I think that's fantastic to, to think about that. Now today, we answer the question, what time is it with this? It's time to remember our normative Christian life. And so today, uh, we're, gonna con we're considering the importance of corporate worship and the word and the importance of returning to what I'm calling a normative state, even though it's not really normative in one sense. And so before we get into our text this morning, uh, I want us to consider changes in our world that seem to be happening and most likely are going to continue in some manner. And again, this isn't exhaustive, but consider that there are several things that we know that as we talked talk about the first week, that the times they are changing, to quote Bob Dylan again. But here's the first thing, you know, employment is changing. We know that we're headed to more automation. We know that online ordering has become the lifeline of, in this country. In fact, a dork boy here, me, <laughs> I went so far as to order canned beans via the internet. I want you to know that. So I'm confessing that to you right now. I couldn't find canned beans anywhere. They were like scarce. And then I went to Sam's and you can only buy one. So I, I bought two cases of canned beans. So anybody need some beans, let me know. Okay. <laughs> And I think that's crazy. Why would I do that? You know things are changing when that's happening. But think about health care. There, there is and there's going to be increased what we call telemedicine. We know that. People are seeing their doctors via these virtual meet rooms rather than in person. In fact, a friend of mine this week, uh, he wasn't allowed to actually come in person to the doctor simply because he had been tested for COVID and he was negative, but they still wouldn't let him come as a result. So he had to do the telemedicine thing. Um, depression and anxiety are rising like crazy. I don't know if you know that, but we, we find this all over because of the COVID thing. Depression and anxiety have increased, they say, as much by threefold. And so there's, now there's online therapy options with psychiatry even. So all that was, you know, there was always some of that, but this is growing. And then, of course, in travel, you know, we have stricter precautions, and you know all about this, and planes and hotels. If you go on a plane, you got to be masked up for sure. And, and then most hotels, if you're in the lobby or anywhere, public places, you have to be masked up. We know all the different things that's happening there. And then in education, I mean, virtual curriculums are growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, if you have any friends who, who are going to college, most freshmen and sophomores, collegiate uh, freshmen, sophomores, anyway, are, are taking virtual classes rather than in person, which is, you know, just you've been waiting all this time to go to college and you get to stay in your own room and, and take it virtually. Go sports teams, you know, and all that. So they love all that. And then you think about job staffing. It's increasing work from home options are out there. And many new jobs allow or at least they desire their people perhaps even to work from home. And there's some pushback on that, but basically that's what companies are doing. Now, what's the point and, and how does this connect with our core message today that it's time to remember our normative Christian life? Well, it seems to me that with all the changes in our world, it's affected even our worship life. I mean, for us it has. I mean, for a few, I mean, we, even this morning, just consider the number of people that aren't here that are normally here. And, and for a few months, we stopped meeting entirely as a body physically together. We, we didn't have growth groups. We, we stopped all of our Bible studies, the fourth and fifth grade, the logos groups, they're all canceled. And we continue to meet via Zoom, if you remember those days, and via live stream. And, and we're, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for such technology allows us to do that. So thankful. And it was kind of fun the first couple of times. You know, we, we had those little Zoom meets afterwards. Do you remember that? And we had lots of people there and asking questions about the sermon and talking 
We thought that was pretty cool and pretty nice, and it was. And, and although we still not, you know, completely returned to our normal meetings, we're, we're gradually coming back to what was normal before what I call the vid. But it could be that the return to a normative church is not going to happen for a while, and it's going to be a gradual return, and in some ways it's never going to be normative as in the past and we still have people, and by the way, of course, I can't say it to them this morning because we're not live streaming, but I was going to tell them that we love them and miss them, but for good reasons, who feel like it's not time yet for them to come back to corporate worship, and we completely understand that. But the danger of our new normal is this, is the possible neglecting of corporate worship, or at least figuring out how the new normal of corporate worship should work in a day of COVID. I mean, how do we corporate worship in a day when you might be quarantined for 10 days because you've been exposed to the COVID? How do we carry out the commands of Scripture and remain strong in the Christian life such that it's normative in some sense? And so here, here's my goal this morning. I want us to remember what the normative Christian life is in corporate worship in the Word and then, and then suggest perhaps how we can maintain that corporate vision of worship and as you know, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, the great preacher, he said something that's very wise, and I've quoted it many times, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Absolutely not. But God's word commands us to constantly remember certain things. And this is the reason, again, that God commanded parents to constantly remind their children of the works of God. We tend to forget. We, uh, I do. We tend to forget the things we all know, and we tend to fail to actually apply then also the things that we all know. And this is particularly true of the things of the Word of God. But consider Deuteronomy 6 and verses 4 through 9. Do you remember this reminder? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then in Deuteronomy 4, 9, and only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So this constant reminder of we need to keep reminding one another of the truths of God. And that's what really what we're doing today. We're reminding ourselves of this normative worship. So my hope is for all of us to be encouraged that it's time to be reminded about of what a normative Christian life is all about in this area of corporate worship. So I want us to look at the text, and we're going to look at some others this morning, too, to encourage us in this area. Now, in the context of the passage of the Scripture this morning, we are seeing what it means to persevere in the faith. And by way of application, what it means to persevere in what I'm calling normative worship. The writer is encouraging us to persevere in our faith, and he tells us how to do so. And I'm going to give you two quick ways to persevere in our faith, and then I'm going to focus on the third, which is the corporate worship today. So how do we persevere toward the norms of Christian life? Well, look at verse 19 of the text again. I want us to look at the text and read it again. It says, Therefore, brothers, 
Since we have, this is what we have, confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So we have that. We have access to the Father through Jesus. When we went through the book of Hebrews, we talked all about the great high priest and all that he did for us. In verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that great high priest who stands there for us, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in the full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then secondly, let us hold fast the profession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there it is in the text, right there. Three things that are means to persevere in normative worship. One is simply drawing near to God, and the second is holding fast to our confession, and then thirdly, just stirring up one another to love and good works. So first notice, drawing near to God in verse 22. The point here is we have this direct access to God. We have a high priest who has mediated between us and God the Father, but we must draw to the Father, draw near to the Father. It's true that God, it is God who works in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure, but we must do still. We must draw near to God. We must do his good pleasure. And what we desperately need is to persevere, to persevere is intimacy with our Lord. So let, let me ask you this morning, do you have that kind of intimacy with the one who loves you most? And I don't, I don't pretend to tell you that it's an easy thing to do or understand. I mean, we worship an invisible God. <laughs> that's, not, that's a tough thing in and of itself. Yet we know the creation clearly says this, that, it, that in Psalm 19, it declares the glory of God. And, and his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, the scripture tells us, ever since the creation of the world. And we read that, of course, in Romans 1. And as followers of, as followers of Jesus, we are in Christ and we know that when we draw near to God, James 4 says what? That he draws near to us. So briefly, let's look at this on a human level. When we're most close to our spouse, don't you sense in one thing, one sense that you, together you can accomplish most anything? And if you're a, a single person, aren't you most confident to persevere through anything when you have support and encouragement from someone in an intimate manner? And then on, on a spiritual level, even as a church, when, when we are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ, we sense that we're invincible, <laughs> Literally, we are invincible when we're centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ, and not because of our abilities, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's simple as that. When, when God is our hope, you know, our go-to, our, our, our first place of power and comfort, what can't we do? Paul put it like this. He said, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I, I love more than anything Romans 8, 32 where it says, he, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him 
graciously give us all things. I mean, do you get that? He gave up his own son for us. If he gave up the most precious thing for us, why would he not give us all things? That kind of intimacy on a spiritual level is amazing. Now, look at verse 22 with me again. It says, we are to to draw near. And that means we go right into the presence of God. That's us. We have that ability through Jesus to go right into the presence of God with a true, it says, or sincere heart and full assurance of faith. In, In other words, fully trusting him and the word of God. And he goes on to say, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And of course, if you remember, that was a reference to the priests who were sprinkled with sacrificial blood and washed with water before they began ministering. So we have this privilege in standing as priests of God to approach God. You know, one of the the key tenets of the Reformation was that we rediscovered the priesthood of the believer, that we are priests of God. And because of our great high priest, we are able to draw near to God. That's crazy wonderful. But that's the first thing. A second means then to persevere towards what I'm calling normative corporate worship is this, is to hold fast to our confession. And we find that in verse 23 again. And what he's doing is he's, he's imploring us to, to hold down, to, to keep it from going away, our confession of hope without wavering. And the question is, well, what is this confession that we're to hold on to, to hold fast to, to not let go of? What's the hope to which we are to hold on to? Well, we know what it is. It's the hope of the gospel. We agree with God that through Christ alone, we are forgiven. And that is, we are freed from the bondage of sin and death. Our sins have been forgiven. Our consciousness, it says, have been cleansed. We do not lie in a, in, in a guilt-ridden life. We're, we're free from the bondage of sin and death. Why? Because Jesus really did bear the full penalty for our sins. And, and we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to do it visually today when we have the Lord's Supper that he really did bear the full penalty for our sins. And we really will never have to pay the penalty for our sins, past, present, or future. That's crazy talk. You realize that? We will never have to. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I can't imagine that there are any better words than from this hymn that we all love, It Is Well. And I love this, these, these words. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That, that's fantastic writing. That's just, that's beautiful. <clears throat> now, this verse goes on to secure that hope for us even more. Hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because for he who promised, it says, is what? He's faithful. You see, we've just seen what we call the human side of eternal security of the believer. I mean, we call this the perseverance of the saints. If we're truly born again, 
truly a child of God, we will persevere in the gospel following Jesus. We, we will hold on, in other words. But God promised to be faithful to us. And Paul put it like this in Timothy. He said that when we are faithless, he is faithful. And simply put, we can hold on to our confession of Christ as Lord because God is faithful. Practically, we can persevere no matter what comes our way as we hold fast to the confession of Christ as Lord of all. And if our confession is true, which it is, then nothing can separate us from the love of God and nothing can keep us from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish in our lives for his glory. So we can persevere, in other words. So we can be encouraged, in other words. So two things, let us draw near to God, let's hold fast our confession, and finally, this third means to persevere in what I'm calling normative corporate worship, it says this, let us stir one another to love and good works. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the, to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this is kind of interesting that, that in order to persevere, we, we need to personally, individually draw near to God. We need to hold fast to our confession of hope. But notice this, and this is the cool part of it is this is all wrapped up in the church. We need the church to persevere. And here's the issue with many of us, including myself at times. I think I can do it on my own. Like me and God, in other words. And, and, and there's truth to that. There's obvious truth to that. But there's also an insidious lie to that also. You and I desperately need the church of Jesus Christ. That is, the people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, specifically for us, the people at Living Acts Church. You and I will be more apt to draw near to God, to hold fast to our confession of our hope as we see in fellowship with those who do the same. So the writer says, he, he tells us to consider, that is, how can we individually and corporately stir up one another to love and good works? And by the way, that word stir up is a strong word in the original language. It has this idea of provocation. Not, not like, please do this, but do this. That's the way it is. And notice he gives us three ways to do it. The first one is found in verse 22. He says, don't neglect meeting together. Now, let me be blunt here. He's basically saying, don't miss coming to church unless you're providentially hindered. And we, in this day and age, we have lots of pro true providential hindered reasons to miss church. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I I'm not saying come to church because church is going to save you, make you a Christian. Uh, you know, it's the old saying, you can go live in a garage, but you don't become an automobile. That's very funny, okay? Or you don't go to McDonald's, be a hamburger or something stupid like that. You know, all those things. And I know that. And, and, and it doesn't make you a good Christian, which can kind of lead you to a kind of a legalistic lifestyle for the one who professes Christ. And, and we're not concerned with numbers and no one's concerned about saying, well, bragging, well, we had this many this week and all that. No, no. This is all about you and us, the church. But regularly assembling, and regularly is the key, as the body of Christ is expected because you're needed to help others persevere in normative worship. If you get this, you, every person 
who is bought by the blood of Jesus is so important in the body of Christ to stir up one another, to love and good works. And that all begins with being together and we're called to become one because we're already one in Christ. And that's what's interesting. Paul wrote this. He said, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Bonhoeffer uh, in his classic book, Life Together, he said this, and I love this quote. He said, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So we, we, may, we always talk about creating community. You ever, you ever talk about that? I get, ad, I, sometimes I get sick to my stomach. But anyway, you know, we're creating community, and that's all a good thing. Don't misunderstand me, and I'm joking a little bit about that. But the point is, community is already here. You, you just got to participate. That, that's the idea of what he's saying, and that's the idea of what it means to be one in Christ. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul writes that God did this beautiful thing. If you just, just have nothing else to do with your life, read Ephesians chapter 2, okay? And you will be blessed beyond measure. But he says this, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In 1 Peter 2, 5, Peter writes this. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And what he's telling us is, is that picture of living stones is that as the buildings of the day were put together with all types of jagged edges, they, they couldn't cut you know, the stones just right. So they had all these jagged edges, and, and they had to place them together just as well as they could with all the different edges. And, and we, the body of Christ, are like that. We all have these different backgrounds, ethnicities, social statuses, cultures, etc. But we are being fit perfectly together to build a spiritual house for the glory of God. And each one of us who have come to faith in Christ, we have this uniqueness to offer through Christ to one another. So here's the point. When we neglect to meet together, we don't help one another persevere. And being together as God's people is, yes, to worship God, to extol the worth of God, which we've done this morning. But it's also to minister to one another. And here you're needed I'm needed, we're all needed to stir one another up in love and good works. Now, here's the problem though. You might say, I have nothing to offer. Or perhaps, I just don't feel like it today. I've had a horrible week and I can't stir up anybody's anything, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Uh, Believe it or not, as excited as I am every Sunday morning to be at this place, I would, do not want to be at any other place for the most part. Okay, maybe heaven. But that's it. You know, uh, there are mornings where I've come in, I'm just like, eh, you know, don't know what's going on, but I'm just, eh. And, you know, and it's kind of like what Kevin said. When the people of God start coming together and the people of God start singing the praise of God, all of a sudden, it all changes. It all changes. Now, the point is this is that sometimes we come and we're not just ready, just ready to, to stir up things for one another in a positive sense. But like it's been said 
You let God be the judge of that. You, you and I are called to be faithful to his commands. Can I tell you the number of times I, I really can't that I've been with my fellow believers in the house of God, particularly this one, and they might be miserable and are hurting, but they encourage me. Do you know why? Because they're acknowledging that they need God. <laughs> you know, they need Christ. So when I see them down in the proverbial dump, so to speak, that, that in a weird way, that's an encouragement to me. It's crazy. But, but the reason for that, again, is because they, they're just throwing themselves upon God. Isn't that why we're here ultimately? Just to throw ourselves upon him. So, you see, even when you think you have nothing to offer, you're a living stone with all your little jagged edges, and you're helping to build this beautiful, wonderful, Christ-honoring thing we call the church. And it is crazy to think that we have the privilege to be part of this and that even the angels of God watch us and they marvel at what's going on here. That's what's mind-boggling to me, that somehow in the cosmos, we're, we're part of this huge cosmos thing that, that it's not just about here at Tyler, Texas. This is everywhere that anything exists. That's the church. So be encouraged. But secondly, we stir up one another by encouraging one another. We've kind of talked about this already, but verse 23 tells us that encouraging one another can be seen and it can be demonstrated, as I've already mentioned, by coming together again to worship but also by simple things like kind words, encouraging words, acts of kindness. I see every Sunday that's demonstrated here when, you, when people tear up and, and set up and tear down. And I see people off in the corner. I'll often see people praying with one another, off in corners, just places. Um, practical things. I am not a big Marco Polo guy. Okay, I played the game a little bit, but I'm not a Marco Polo guy. But that whole Marco Polo technology is not such a bad thing all the time. It's a wonderful way of people being able to share with one another and encourage one another. So definitely technology. And that's, that's one of those COVID changes things, all those different changes that are going on that people are using more and more. Positive things to encourage one another. Sharing the word via text. It's that simple. Via email. That can all be encouraging. It's simply a matter of being aware of others rather than simply ourselves. And what better example do we have than that of our Savior, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to be, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so the point is simple but profound. As we are encouraged, we are able to persevere in normative worship. We're able to live the normative Christian life. When you know people <clears throat> who love Jesus, they're with you, you can stand the difficult days. But we need to be together. That's the point. And then thirdly, warn one another. Look at verse 25. We're not to neglect meeting together. We're, we're not to neglect encouraging one another because there's a warning. It says the day is drawing near. Now, contextually, there's two possibilities here. In Hebrews, this could have been a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem that was very, very close during that time period when this was written. You need to help each other because the day is near when the Roman armies are going to be coming into Jerusalem and they're going to destroy everything. But for us, most likely, this is more a second possibility. It's a reminder that Jesus is coming again. 
and that the day of judgment is actually coming. And so we're to be encouraged by this and to persevere because someday he will make all things right and good and all the crud, I'm glad I said crud, <laughs> that people are going through today, all that is going to be taken care of someday. This is the hope of a Christian, okay? And a lot of people, they look at us as Christians and they go, what kind of dorky stuff are you believing? You know, why do you believe that stuff? Because it is our hope. Our hope is Christ. Our hope is his return. That's, that's the truth. And when that happens, judgment comes and we'll be ushered into eternity. So be encouraged by that and persevere because again, he makes all things right and good. So here's the conclusion of the matter today. Corporate worship is necessary for any follower of Jesus. No one is exempt from the need of normative corporate worship. And in this day, when life seems so chaotic and not normal, we're called to model that which has always been true. That the extolling of God's character, the joy of singing praises about him, the beauty of his word and prayer to him, that's all that is, is normative worship. And that's where we stir up one another to love and good works. And we don't neglect meeting together. And, and we encourage and warn one another. And now we get to do one more beautiful thing in just a few minutes. And that beautiful thing is we get to celebrate the very reason why we are here ultimately because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I hope as we do this this morning that you will just rejoice in the fact that we, the body of Christ, get to be together to worship the living King and to stir up one another to love and good works. So let me pray. Lord, thank you. God, your word is amazingly wonderful and perfect. God, I love these people, and I'm, I'm so privileged to be here with them. And I think about my brothers and sisters who aren't here this morning that can't be here for, for good reasons, Father. I know they desire to be here. God, will you please somehow, in the power of your Holy Spirit at this moment, Help them to sense the love of Christ from us this morning. Help them to know that this body loves them and cares for them. And Father, that most of all that we love you. And we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash livingactschurch.